What are you going to do about it? Philippians, the book of Philippians. Just uh, one page over from where we've been the last uh, several months in, in Ephesians. And so today we look at yet another of Paul's And uh, this one is actually to the first church in Europe. Uh, this book is a result of a trip that actually was never planned and probably never should have happened. So I just want to give you a little bit of background to see where uh, the Apostle Paul, and inspired by the, word, by, by the Holy Spirit, is coming from. It's a relatable story for many of us. Uh, so you should know that uh, this story starts with closed doors. It starts with closed doors. Uh, we know from uh, Paul, excuse me, from Acts 16, that Paul was on his second missionary journey. And God closed two different doors. Uh, they planned to go to Asia and then to Bithynia, but Scripture tells us that the Spirit actually forbid them. And in a vision, Paul saw this man from Macedonia saying, Come over here and help us. And so a story, a story that, that started with closed doors uh, led to, continues with, a vision. That's the next blank on your outline. So closed doors to a vision. When God closes one door, he opens another, right? So God is calling them to a different work. This has to be good. Go ahead and tell your neighbor, this has to be good. Paul and his companions, they immediately, it says, they set, up, set their course for Macedonia and they ended up in Philippi. Uh, now we know that there were not enough Jews in Philippi to have a synagogue, so they met down by the river, and that's where Paul started. Uh, he shared the gospel there, and a woman named Lydia believed and put her faith in Christ. So a closed door led to a vision, led to a conversion. You can write that down. So uh, things are looking pretty good so far. I mean, there may have been some frustration there at the beginning when God closed the door, when, when Paul had good plans, um, but... Um, Everything seems to be going well until we get to Acts 16, verse 16. There we are introduced to a certain slave girl, it says. And she is possessed by a spirit of divination. And she brought her masters much profit, telling fortunes. The girl followed Paul and his companions for many days, it says. And she just cried out one sentence. These men are servants of the Most High God. Over and over. These men are servants of the Most High God. These men are servants of the Most High God. How many times do you think it would take me to say it until it got annoying, right? Well, that's exactly what happened. Uh, quickly, uh, verse 18 tells us that Paul became annoyed uh, after she was just screaming out one sentence. I mean, he actually went for days. But finally... He said he had had enough. In verse 18 it says, He turned to her and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. But when her master saw their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. They teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. And the multitude rose up against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So from a closed door... To a vision, to a conversion, to being beaten and put in prison. 
Prison's the next blank on your outline there. This roller coaster of a story seems to be ending in a pretty dark place for Paul. It was actually from prison that Paul wrote the book of Philippians. And it wasn't even this prison. So just, just let that sink in for a, for a moment. He, he wrote Philippians from prison, but it wasn't even from this prison. So knowing all of this, if we didn't know anything else about Philippians, what would you guess a ma- the major theme would be? Now before you take a guess, I know if I were writing what the major theme would be. Um, woe is me. I have been wrongfully accused. Justice is crying out and it needs to be served. God, I am out here working my tail off and this is where it has gotten me. When are you going to step in and do something? See, some of us may connect with those words more than anything else. But here's the deal. Uh, Those words are are not inspired by God. Those words are inspired by my me monster. And, and we're going to be talking a lot about that in Philippians. The major theme of Philippians, after this roller coaster of a beginning, is joy. It's joy. <laughs> so, closed doors, a vision, a calling by God, a conversion, things are looking up, but then they're beaten and put into prison. And the result is joy. Look at verse uh, six, uh, chapter 16, verse 25. But at midnight... So they're in the inner prison, having been beaten with many stripes and in shackles. And notice what they were doing. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep, And seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do not harm, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called, the guard called for a light. He ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word to the Lord to him, the word of the Lord to him, and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and his family were baptized. And now when he brought them into his house, he set food before him, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And so before we even read one word of Philippians, we see that um, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, it is Jesus that really matters. It's Jesus that really matters. Now I would, I would venture to say that our lives are similar to Paul's in that we understand what it's like to be on a roller coaster of life. Because we experience good times, uh, we know that God is working in our lives, we know that he is way more gracious than we deserve, but we also understand none of us knows what's around the next corner. It could be a higher peak, or it could be just another heavy, fast drop that weighs us down yet again. It could even be the biggest drop we've ever experienced. I mean, can anyone else relate, or is it just me? 
I know we can relate because we're all human. We had a closed door that led to a vision. We had high hopes, but it ended up leading us to the most difficult time of our lives. That's what happened here in Philippians to Paul. And yet, the theme is joy. The question becomes, how? Because Paul accepted and embraced whatever the circumstance, good or bad, he was going to live for Christ. He was going to live for Christ. That's what we're calling this, that's what I'm calling this series, for Christ. We've been in Christ in Ephesians, now it's for Christ. For his great love and sacrifice and death and resurrection. For his strength, for his peace, for him walking with us every step of the way. For the truth that God is working with us, within us. He uses us to, to take the gospel to, to others. And when we do, when we live for Christ, that's what makes all the difference in the world. When we realize it, when we accept and embrace it, then we can find joy no matter the high, no matter the low. So today we start Philippians 1, 1 through 11. If you are able, out of respect for the word of God, please stand as we listen to God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and all discernment, and that you may approve the things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ Jesus. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. So it's, it's easy to take verses like these and just kind of skim over them. I mean, they are, after all, just an, an introduction. Uh, but the goal here today is to see, okay, uh, this story that, that starts with closed doors and ended up in prison, beaten, in shackles, how can it lead to joy? Uh, we've talked about joy recently during the Advent season. Uh, it's been defined as grace recognized. And, and we said, we, we know, we get it confused with happiness a lot. So you, just a, a little review from the Advent season. Happiness comes from things that happen to you. It comes from things that happen to you. It's only natural. I don't think it's sinful to be happy about good things to us. But the problem comes when we make happiness our foundation. Because happiness moves. And don't we know that not always good things happen to us? And so then we 
we look for the next thing. We spend our, all of our life just trying to find the next semblance of happy, whatever it is. But joy is produced in you. Joy is produced in you. It's based on an unshakable faith. It's produced by the unshakable Holy Spirit living within us when we surrender our life to the free gift that God gives through Jesus. Joy doesn't move because Jesus is the firmest foundation. Happiness is insecure. Happiness is insecure. And so it's tossed to and fro by whatever is happening to you. If something bad happens, then your world completely crashes. And then you look for the next thing. And then the next thing. When that crashes, you look for the next thing. But joy is confident. Because it's internal. It's based on something solid. Happiness is, is defined by facts. Facts. Uh, you know, most of the time, closed doors don't make us happy. You know, I had all these big plans and all these things were really going good. But then God closed the door and I am not happy. But joy is defined by truth. Joy is defined by truth. Even whenever our situation seems hopeless, if we know Jesus, we can stand on the truth of his word and we can claim his promises, even in the midst of our hopeless situation, all the while realizing that we have found ourselves in a more hopeless situation before, namely our, our separation from God the Father, and Jesus has reconciled that, and so he can reconcile whatever hopeless situation you find yourself in. Paul realized this. And so he didn't focus on all the things happening to him. He focused on what, was, what God was doing in him. And so here we just see kind of a snapshot of the Apostle Paul. He is a wonderful example for us. First we see that he was single-minded. He was single-minded. As with all of his writings, the Apostle Paul was always all about Jesus. Always all about Jesus. In chapter 1, he mentions Jesus 21 times. He knew that no matter the circumstances, it's only Jesus that matters because only Jesus has the power to save. Only Jesus reconciles us back to God. Without Jesus, all of humanity is completely hopeless. He is most important. He is preeminent. He is most worthy. These are all things as believers that we probably amen in our hearts. He is most worthy. He is preeminent. He is most important. He has the power to save. We say amen to that in our hearts. But the question is, do we really live like we believe them? That Jesus matters more than my health. Jesus matters more than my bank account. Jesus matters more than my relationships. Jesus matters more than my, my comfort. Jesus matters more than, than my business. Jesus matters. But does he really matter in our lives? 21 times in chapter 1. Some of us probably haven't even mentioned the name of Jesus. 21 times in the last month. The last year. Maybe even more. And if you say, well, pastor, that's, that's kind of a, a gut punch. You're coming out swinging early. Well, maybe I am, but man, is it, is it true? Does Jesus really matter like you claim? Does Jesus really matter like I claim in my life? It mattered to Paul. He mattered to Paul. He was single-minded with Jesus. 
He didn't let everything going on in the rest of his life distract him from it. When, when the culture around him hated him for loving Jesus, when most of us would have, would have given up under the persecution, he did not relent because he knew only Jesus matters. Now church, there is likely coming a time when you and I will be faced with the choice of standing up for Jesus or else. Our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, it happens daily. I mean, we read, we've read the book, we know how it ends, and we know it's going to get really bad. If it were today, what choice would you make? Because if we can't choose Jesus today, when things are relatively calm, how do we expect to choose him when persecution comes? See, everything that Paul did, everything he endured, he endured for Christ. He was single-minded with Jesus, and he was single-minded with the gospel. The next blank on your outline. He mentions the gospel six times here in chapter 1. And again, how many of us have not mentioned the gospel six times in the last year or longer? The good news of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he promises to do, it is the only thing that has power to make dead people alive. So it was what Paul was devoted his entire life to. And because of this, he had joy that towered over everything, above every closed door and every difficult situation. The question becomes, do we have that same joy? Before we go any further, if we took a snapshot of your life, what is your focus and I realize we're, we're different from Paul. It's different for us than it was for Paul. I mean, we have not been the ones first called to go on missionary journeys with the gospel to Gentiles. Jesus didn't appear to us on the road to Damascus. We have jobs and, and families and, and bills and burdens. But the question is, what are we doing with Jesus at our jobs, in our families, with our money, with our burdens? I know a lot of people, um, I've heard it said, I just like to, to live a, a lifestyle evangelism. A lifestyle evangelism. And, and that's, that's really good. But isn't the goal of, of lifestyle evangelism so that people will ask you about Jesus? So that you can have those conversations? Are we having those conversations? Do we have joy in these, these places? A contagious joy uh, that makes people wonder what's different in us. Because if we're only focused on the job or on the relationship or on the money or on the burdens, they all tend to become idols that we worship instead of Jesus. See, whatever we focus on gets bigger, including Jesus, including all these other things, including the job and the, the burdens and the worries and the relationships. Whatever we focus on, it gets bigger. Paul had joy because he was singly minded, focused on Jesus and the gospel. Secondly, we see he was thankful. Paul was thankful. Verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So exactly what was Paul thankful for? Well, he was thankful for the Philippians. He was thankful for, for God's people right there in Philippi. Notice that word fellowship. It's koinonia. If you've been around long enough, we, we've heard that, that word several times. Here it means to have something in common. 
And fellowship is another theme in Philippians. Now, uh, most of us here in this Baptist church, when we think of fellowship, uh, we think about getting together and doing what? Eating. Yes, yes. <laughs> but here, and I'm okay with that, here it's, it's, there's more to it. It's having something in common. Notice uh, some of the things that, that they had in common. Verse 5 tells us it's fellowship in the gospel. This good news of Jesus. Paul's focus, it brings us together today. Some of us have nothing else in common other than the gospel, and the gospel is enough. Philippians 2.1, God's word speaks of the fellowship of the Spirit. Fellowship of the Spirit. Romans 8.9 tells us that when, when we surrender to Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. And so not only do we have the gospel in common, but we also have the Holy Spirit. Chapter 3, verse 10 this is one that we probably don't want to put on the list, but we have it anyway. Speaks of the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. Fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. Now, when we think of, about all that Jesus suffered, it is not limited to the cross. Um, don't think that his life was just full of bliss up until the time he got arrested. Isaiah 53.3 calls him despised and rejected. A man of sorrows. Sorrows means that he knew physical and mental pain. He knew grief and anguish. And so when it says that we have fellowship in his sufferings, it means that we have some of the same sufferings and struggles that Jesus did. I think we often forget on, on any given day, anyone here in our church family may be dealing with physical or mental pain. Any one of us may be dealing with grief or anguish. We are so accustomed to just putting on our Sunday best with each other so that no one else knows. These, these things that, they, that they're, going on, they're going on in our lives, they cause us to act and react in, in different ways. And when the rest of us come here on Sunday in our Sunday best just to kind of do our duty and give the Lord this hour a week, but we're really uh, more singly focused on what's going on after the service or all the stuff that we have to get done this week. We miss opportunities to minister to each other as we walk together through sufferings. That's what part of being a church family is about sufferings together. I think that Paul for the Philippians is because they were there to support him during a difficult time. And this fellowship was a source of joy for him. Who's God calling you to, to, to reach out and minister to through a, a phone call or a, a card or just a text? I have, I have found that most people in our world are not encouragers. Most people are, are just not encouragers. So much so that, that when I have a conversation with somebody who is, it's, it's refreshing. It's noticeably refreshing because most people just aren't. It's abnormal. Listen, this, this world could use more encouragers. This church could use more encouragers. Who do you know that needs encouraging? Chances are somebody's coming, someone's coming to, the, to your mind. Who do you need to reach out to with a card or a text or, or a phone call? It's, it's part of the fellowship of God's people. We have the gospel in common. We have the spirit in common. We have the sufferings of Christ in common. And, and Paul was thankful 
for this fellowship. It was a source of joy in the midst of a time that was very difficult and he was facing closed doors. Thirdly, we see that he prayed. Paul prayed. Pick it up again in verse 3. I thank my God upon every time, every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. So we see in other places he prayed often, he prayed always. If you skip down to verse 9, you'll see what he prayed for these people. And it starts with love. This I pray that your love may abound still more and more. That word abound, it means to overflow. So this is a prayer for unconditional love that overflows from each, each other, each one of them. But notice that it's not just blind love, it's discerning. Uh, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. See, we can, we can love the wrong things. We can love the wrong way. We can just kind of, kind of wink at sin in the name of love. That's what the world wants us to, but that's not what we are called to do by God. Notice verse 10, we're called to approve the things that are excellent. It's a phrase that means to distinguish between good and evil. We are to make a distinction between what is right and wrong and live for what's right. Next it tells us to be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. That tells us to, to, to be sincere, don't be fake. It's a word that refers to being found pure when exposed to the light. And finally in verse 11, the prayer is to be filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Even when it's not easy, even when it seems like, like doors are slammed in your face, even when uh, you find yourself in difficult circumstances, even when you don't feel like it, through your faith in Christ, love, with discernment, what is right. Don't be fake in this journey of faith. Produce fruits of righteousness to the glory and praise of God. Don't we know that the apostle experienced these things, which is why he prayed them for the Philippians. And his experience was a source of joy. So we see he was single-minded, Jesus in the gospel. He was thankful for the fellowship that he had with, these, with God's people. He prayed fervently for them. And finally, he trusted. He trusted. Verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. See, Paul trusted that Jesus matters more than anything else. Beyond what was going in, on in his life and the lives of these Philippian believers, he trusted that God was working, Jesus was working, through circumstances. He, he trusted that Jesus would finish what he started. And so he was able to choose joy above all this other stuff going on in his life because he was living for Christ. And so my question for you today as our musicians uh, make their way up here. Do you have this kind of joy? Do you? What, what are you focused on? Is it Jesus and the gospel in the midst of your daily life? Or do those not even come to mind until Sunday morning? 
when you're on your way here, are you thankful for this church family? Who might God be calling you to encourage? Look around for just a minute. Who's missing? Who haven't you seen in a while? Who just needs encouraged? God might be calling you to do that. Do you pray for this church family? Do you trust Jesus? Do you really trust Jesus? Or is your lack of joy a result of you not trusting Jesus? You would just bow your heads and close your eyes. See, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. But here we have these, these verses that they seem just like an introduction, but man, they are rich, aren't they? God's word is so rich. What has he said to you through his word? I'm always thankful that he speaks to us well beyond what the messenger says. That's the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? And what, does he, what is he calling you to do about it? As we go into this time of invitation, um, the altar will be open. If you need uh, just to pray with somebody um, or just need to pray, you just need to leave something at the altar. Maybe you need to make a commitment to God. Do that now. The song that's uh, going to be sung and played here, it's probably, it's one that you won't be familiar with, but I just encourage you to, to listen to the words, to worship through it and make it your prayer. As we allow God to do work in our hearts. Lord, we invite you to come. In the awesome name of Jesus we pray.